Good morning. morning. Hey, thanks, Mike. That was a blessing. Appreciate it. So would... So would you turn with me in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 11 this morning, continuing our series through Matthew. We left off last time with Jesus warning his apostles that they should expect persecution. Uh, The fact that he's sending them out, that they're going to be involved in building the kingdom, that hostility and opposition are just part of the program. It's going to come with uh, with being used by God. There's going to be just antagonism and irrational hatred and things they're going to have to endure. In the passage before us, John the Baptist is experiencing a little persecution of his own. He has been locked up in prison for calling King Herod out on his flagrant, blatant sin. And we'll talk more about that later. But John's sitting there alone in a prison cell, and as he's chained up in Herod's dungeon, these dark clouds of doubt begin to form over him. And he begins to question and wonder, is Jesus really the Messiah? I was preaching about him and pointing people towards him, but if he truly is the coming Messiah... Why isn't he alleviating my suffering? Why isn't he intervening on my behalf? Why isn't he doing something about my situation? How many of you have ever been there before? You're just wondering, like, Lord, (laughs) have you forgotten about me here? You know, uh, at the risk of being too transparent, I want to share a story with you guys. But when our daughter Leah uh, learned that she wasn't going to get the third double lung transplant that could have saved her life, Honestly, it felt like we were kicked in the gut as a family. And so at that point, Leah's only option was to come to our house and go on hospice care. And, and uh, I just remember that kind of overnight, our living room was transformed into a makeshift hospital room. I have a picture of it, Bo, if you could put that up there, please. This is just, a, I don't know how many meds that she was on, but that's just kind of the counter at our house. And, and uh, there was a a lot of changes. One of them was with so many, um, so much clothing and bed linens, our, our washer machine was literally running 24-7, nonstop around the clock. And when it finally wore out, I jumped in my truck to drive over to Best Buy to purchase a new one. And as I'm driving there, true story, the front wheel fell off my truck on Highway 1. And I, with a loud bang, I, I came grinding to a halt as my axle went into the asphalt there. And I remember standing on the side of the road, and the police are directing rush hour traffic around me, you know, and people are looking at me like, you idiot, you know. And I'm like, it <laughs> wasn't my fault. I didn't cause the wheel to fall off. But I, I remember looking up to heaven and honestly thinking, Lord, really? You know, Seriously? I mean, how much do you think I can take here? How many of you have been in that place before where you're just beginning to doubt and question and like, Lord, what's going on here? And I think at some point in our Christian walk, we can all relate to where John the Baptist is in our text. He's sitting there in this dark, smelly, damp dungeon. And he's wondering, man, is is he really the Messiah? Was I wrong about him all along? I was preaching about him and pointing people to him and proclaiming him as God's anointed. And yet, here I sit here suffering, and he's not doing anything to help me. He's not doing anything to deliver me from my situation. And so he sends his disciples to Jesus to ask him point blank, like, hey, are you the Messiah or not? 
And if so, I'm your cousin, and what's going on here? You know, what, why, aren't, why aren't you helping me? And so uh, the title of our message this morning is Disappointment with God. And we're going to look at four things. John's honest question, uh, Jesus' compassionate response. He's not mad at John for asking the question. And then Jesus gives us his impression of John, and then he rebukes the religious crowd. But look, we might not say it out loud, but we all have certain expectations of the Lord. Somehow we think that, hey, look, if we're loving Jesus and serving him faithfully, you know, our finances are going to be okay, we're going to have great marriages, our kids are going to be healthy, and all the rest. We might not verbalize that, but we all have this expectation that, you know, if we're serving God and following God, things are going to go well for us. And, and sometimes the Lord fails to meet our expectations. And when that happens, like John, these clouds of doubt, questioning, wondering can, can begin to take place in our heart. Like, you know, Lord, I've been praying for a spouse for all these years, or I've been praying for this situation, or my marriage to get better, or my husband to get his act together, and things are getting worse, not better, and we can become disillusioned and get disappointed when our prayers go unanswered, and that's how John feels in this passage. So let's begin by looking at his honest question. In chapter 11, verse 1, we'll read together. Now it came to pass when Jesus finished commanding his 12 disciples that he departed from there to teach and to preach in their cities. And when John, John the Baptist, had heard in prison about the works of Christ, he sent two of his disciples. And they said to Jesus, are you the coming one or not? Or should we look for another? So as I already mentioned, John's sitting there in prison. He's called Herod out on his sins. Specifically, Herod, we know from his church historians, that Herod was involved in an adulterous affair with his brother's wife. And John saw that and said, hey, that's immoral. That's wrong. That's, that's sinful. And so Herod got mad at him and threw him in the, in the um, dungeon of his fortress. He's chained up in this prison cell. And he's, and he's like, <laughs> been sitting there and he's hearing that Jesus is doing miracles for other people. And he's thinking, man, did he forget about me? I mean, I'm, I'm his man. I'm the forerunner. I'm this prophet that, that has been chosen to, to uh, uh, endorse him. And, and here I am sitting here all alone in isolation. You know, John at one point had you know, declared publicly, behold, the Lamb of God, he's taken away the sins of the world. But now, in his situation, he's sitting there and he's beginning to question. How many of you have been there before where you just had some honest questions like, you know, why is God not coming through for me? Why does he seem to be letting me down? Why is my prayer that I'm praying so earnestly going unanswered? And that's where John's at. And I think we can sympathize with John as he sits in that smelly dungeon. You know, he's an outdoor guy. And yet, where is he? He's in this tiny prison cell. You know, he's, he's been called to preach. That's his ministry, and yet he's been silenced. And he's just questioning and wondering and doubting, like, where is the Lord in this situation? And as followers of Jesus, how many of you know that we don't have to be afraid to ask him honest questions. It's not, having doubts is not a sin. Do you know that? Can you say that with me? 
Having doubts is not a sin. Let's say it again. Having doubts is not a sin. And we can come to Jesus and we can pour out our hearts to him and say, Lord, I don't get this. I, you know, I know you're working all things together for good, but I don't see it in this situation. Help me, Lord, to have faith, to trust you, and to know that you are working behind the scenes in my life right now. Because quite frankly, I'm starting to lose heart. I'm starting to feel despair. I'm starting to feel hopeless. And that's where John was at. Now check it out in the verses that follow. Jesus is going to answer John's question. And we'll read that in verse 4. And Jesus answered and said to them, to John's messengers, Go and tell John the things which you hear and see. Literally the things that you are hearing and seeing. Verse 5, the blind see, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, and the dead are raised up, and the poor have the gospel preached to them. But also tell John, blessed is he who is not offended because of me. Guys, I know John's questioning if I'm truly the, the coming Messiah. I know, but think of what, what Isaiah prophesied. And go tell John that, yes, the... The dead are, are uh, here, I mean, the deaf are hearing, and the dead are rising, and the lame are walking, and the lepers are being cleansed, and, and the blind eyes are being opened. Go tell John that you're witnessing these very things. And, and then tell him, blessed is he who's not offended by me. In other words, happy is the person who doesn't get stumbled in their faith when I don't meet their expectations, when I don't come through for them in the way that they hoped I would or prayed that I would. Blessed is the person who's not offended by that. And I believe that when John heard Jesus' response, his heart sank a bit. I know that's speculation on my part, but I believe that he sat there thinking, what a knucklehead I am. Of course he's the promised Messiah. How could I have ever doubted him? And John's probably a bit down on himself, but notice what Jesus says about him in the verses that follow. Verse 7, And as they departed, Jesus began to say to the multitudes concerning John, Hey, what did you go out in the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind? But what did you go out to see? A man clothed in soft garments? Instead, those who wear soft clothing are in king's houses. So Jesus is giving his impression of John, and he's saying, you know, John wasn't some fashion-conscious emo guy. He's, he, he was a rugged dude in camel's hair clothing, eating grasshoppers, okay? You know, what did you think he, he was going to be like? And now he goes on to give us his estimation of John. Notice, he says, but what did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, and I say to you more than a prophet, for this is he of whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way before you. Assuredly, I say to you, among those born of women, there has not risen one greater than John the Baptist, but he who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. So what fascinates me about this is this John, Jesus is describing John to the crowd, he's saying there has never been a human being born on this planet who's greater than John. In my estimation, he's, 
He's the greatest prophet who's ever lived. He's greater than Abraham. He's greater than Daniel. He's greater than Elijah. He's greater than all of them. Moses, every one of them. John is at the top. You know what fascinates me about this? John never heard one word of this. Jesus told his disciples this after John's messengers left. And John sat alone in prison and he never heard these kind words spoken about him by Jesus before he died. And I would suggest that the same thing is happening in heaven right now concerning you and I. How many of you struggle in your faith at time and have doubts and questions and you get disillusioned and, and, and I don't know about you, but sometimes I just get really like bummed and depressed, like, Lord, what is going on here? Why aren't, why isn't, you know, I'm praying my heart out for these things. They're not, the prayers are not being answered. And I believe that when I'm in that weakened state, Jesus turns to the angels around his throne and says, look at my child, Rick, isn't he awesome? Look at my daughter, Julie. Look at, look at my daughter, Sonia. Look at, they, aren't they wonderful? Aren't they impressive? Yeah, their life hasn't been easy, but you know what? They continue to trust in me. And Jesus is applauding us in heaven when we're at our weakest state, when we're feeling like we're not having much faith at all. Jesus is commending us out of earshot, just like he did with John the Baptist. Isn't that awesome? You know, we're thinking, man, we're just so weak in our faith, and we're we shouldn't have these doubts in the Lord saying, my child, if you only knew my estimation of you, you're doing great. Hang in there. Yeah, this walking by faith and not by sight is not an easy thing that I've called you to. And John never heard these words, but Jesus was paying him a high compliment, right? He was paying him the ultimate compliment. This guy's the greatest prophet ever. And John's just sitting there alone going, I wonder if the Lord even cares. I wonder if he even loves me. I'm sitting here in prison. I'm awaiting my execution. And there's no, there's, there's nothing that God's doing about it. Notice what Jesus says about John's integrity of character. He says, you know, John was not some reed blowing in the wind of public opinion. This was a guy who was courageous and he stood for his convictions and he took a bold stand for the Lord. In my mind's eye, I can picture, you know, weeds or reeds blowing and bending in the wind. And John's like a piece of rebar standing up there straight going on. You know, he, he was a really courageous, brave guy just going against the flow of his culture, proclaiming Jesus unashamedly. And that's what Jesus is saying, man, this guy was not some Joel Osteen preacher who was just appealing to the whims of people. This guy was a man who was solid and, and he, knew, he knew where he stood in me and he was not afraid to stand up and take a stand for the Lord. Amen? He was, a, he was a man's man. And Jesus is commending him for that. His bravery. But um, as great as John was in Jesus' opinion. Comparatively speaking he says. Check this out guys. Don't miss this. The least of those who are in the kingdom of Christ. Are greater than him. Greater than John. Who's he talking about here? Which of. What people are in the kingdom of God right now under the new covenant? You and I. 
And Jesus is saying, we're greater than John? He just, he just paid him the ultimate compliment, but he's saying, and, and the ones that will follow that are a part of the kingdom of Christ, they're even greater than John. Why would he say that? Because we have the spirit of the living God inside us. John would have given anything to have the relationship that we have with Christ right now, where, where the Holy Spirit resides in us, and we are the temples of the Holy Spirit. And Jesus is saying, you know what? As great as John was, and as much as I love him and appreciate his ministry, my children that were gonna be in, are going to be in the kingdom of Christ, speaking of us in the future, are even greater in my eyes. Do you guys see yourself that way? Really? Do you, do you look at yourself the way Jesus looks at you? Or is your opinion of yourself vastly different than Jesus' opinion of you? So after praising John for his courage and bravery, though, he's going to rebuke the religious crowd for their unbelief. Let's read in verse 12. And from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven suffers violence, and the violent take it by force. For all the prophets and the law prophesied until John, and if you are willing to receive it, he is Elijah, who is to come. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. But to what shall I liken this generation? It is like little children sitting in the marketplace and calling to their companions, saying, We played the flute for you, and you did not dance. We mourned to you, and you did not lament. For John came neither eating nor drinking, and they said, he has a demon. And the son of man came eating and drinking, and they say, look, a glutton and a wine-biver or a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. But wisdom is justified by her children. So again, the, the common people held John in high regard, right? I mean, you guys know the story he would... They would come out in droves to be baptized by John in the Jordan River. He was a popular guy. And people were flocking to hear John and to be a part of his ministry. But the religious leaders rejected John completely. They saw him as like a fanatic in some kind of nut job. You know, the guy's out there in camel hair clothing. He's got grasshopper legs sticking out of his teeth. And the religious leaders just wrote him off. And Jesus is saying, you know, basically, there's just no pleasing you guys. He's saying this to the religious leaders, to the hypocrites. He goes, you know, John, he... You, you, you demonized him for not taking part in your religious feast. And then you, you label me as a, as a drunkard and a glutton because I've chosen to eat and drink. I mean, you guys, you can't win with you guys. You guys are just critical of everyone. And, and, and he's calling them out on their religious hypocrisy. And, and instead of being able to receive the kingdom that Jesus was bringing in childlike faith and humility... That's how we enter the kingdom, right? They were being childish by refusing to play their religious games in their pride, in their arrogance, and, and self-righteousness. And Jesus is saying, you guys are like immature little kids. You know, you think of a kid like, if we're not going to play, it's my ball. If you're not going to play my, my rules, I'm going to take my ball and go. You know, these guys were like that. They were, he was, and he's rebuking them for their unbelief and their stubbornness and their unwillingness to accept the kingdom that he was ushering in. In closing, I, uh, I want to draw your attention back to verse 12 again. 
Let's read that again one more time. And from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven suffers violence, and the violent take it by force. What on earth does this mean? Well, anyone who's actively involved in building or advancing the kingdom of God. You know, there are born-again Christians who are blood-bought, redeemed, but they've never laid a single brick for the kingdom of God. Not, not any in this church that I know of, but there are Christians who just go to church to be entertained and just, you know, meet my needs. But Jesus says, if you're actively involved in discipling and building my kingdom, you're going to have some battles on your hand. It's going to be a violent thing that you're going to go through. You're going to experience warfare and opposition. You guys know, how did John the Baptist's life end? Did he have a, his, his life came to a bloody and violent end. You might recall that, that um, King Herod uh, was having a birthday party. And she came, and I don't know how she, she must have been dressed provocatively, and she did this sed- seductive dance in front of Herod and his drunken friends. Don't worry, I'm not going to try to emulate that. But, but uh, <laughs> yeah, you guys are like, Pastor Rick, please don't even go there. But, but, but she did this dance. And Herod's sitting there in his drunken, lustful condition. And what does he say to her? Whatever you want, it's yours. Up to half my kingdom, he said. Everyone's like, whoa. You know, and he's probably thinking she's going to ask for a pair of pearl earrings or a Gucci purse or a Ferrari or something. But, but with some coaching from her mother, do you remember, Salome, do you remember what this young lady said, his stepdaughter? I want the head of John the Baptist on a platter. Can you imagine what everyone in the room thought at that point? Ooh, that's kind of a gruesome request. I want his head, bloody head, to be carried in on a platter. And I'm sure that Herod didn't want to meet this demand, but he had to, he had to fulfill his promise in order to save face with his guests. So what did he do? He sent one of his guards to chop off John the Baptist's head. And John went to be with the Lord in heaven. But again, he never heard the words of Jesus. He never heard Jesus' opinion of him before that happened. He felt isolated and alone, and maybe even a bit abandoned by the Lord until his head was lopped off. So what's the takeaway lessons for us? Right now, John has heard these words. From the lips of Jesus, well done, my good and faithful servant. When I read this account, I can't help think of Corey Tim Boone's famous tapestry illustration where she says, you know, when, when our lives are unfolding in, in real time as Christians, we look at the circumstances in our lives and it just seems like a bunch of jumbled, rambled, random mess of threads, you know, it's just... How many of you have things in your life presently that just don't make sense? Like, well, I don't know why God isn't changing this. I don't know why God's allowing me to go through this. And from our perspective on this side of eternity, it just looks like a big mess. But then we know that when we get to heaven, we're going to look back on this life and see that. If you could do that next slide for me, Bo, that. Hey, Bo, could you do that next slide for me, please? Perfect. Sorry. We're going to look and see that the whole time God was making something of incredible beauty out of our lives. And that he was, he was weaving and working something beautiful 
even through our, our most difficult circumstances, even the things that just were so hard for us to go through in this life that God was doing something beautiful in our lives. Amen? And John the Baptist didn't know that until he stood before God in eternity and realized, wow, okay, that's why I was arrested by Herod, and that's why I was executed, because God was going to use my life as a testimony of his faithfulness. And on uh, September 30th, 2018, there's a group of people that are going to sit and read about that, and they're going to be inspired by my faith, knowing that God was going to use this, that John realized that God was going to use this for his glory. And the same is true for the things that we're going through presently. You know, as a pastor, it's a lot easier to teach about trusting Jesus than it is to do it in my present circumstances. I'm just going through something right now that's so painful and so difficult, and I'm just pleading with God to, to change it and to work on our behalf. And, and sometimes when we're in that place, we can forget that God is faithful and that he is working in ways that we don't always see or understand. And he explains this to us, that through us, to us through the prophet Isaiah. Isaiah 55, Jesus says to us, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are my way, your ways my ways, says the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so my ways are higher than yours, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. And if you sit here this morning and you say, you know, I am a little disappointed, honestly. I have maybe never, I've thought this, but I've never verbalized it out loud. But I, I am just a little disappointed that God hasn't answered the prayer I'm praying or he hasn't worked in the way that I was hoping and, or expected him to work. You know, if that's you this morning, when we feel disappointed with the Lord, it's not because he's failed us. It's because our expectations have failed us. Amen? God is faithful. God only wants the best for us. He will withhold no good thing from those who love him. And, and if he's not answering our pray, prayer in the way that we hoped he would or believed he could, it's because he's doing something. He's weaving a tapestry in our lives that's going to be a thing of incredible beauty. We're going to see it not in this life possibly, but in eternity and he's going to be glorified in and through our circumstances. Are you guys with me? And if, um, Mike, could you come back up, please, and the prayer counselors? So if, if you feel a little bit let down by the Lord this morning, and I, maybe you don't right now, just tuck this away for future reference, but if you feel like, you know what, this message is for me, honestly, I've been starting to feel a little bit hopeless about this situation in my life. And I've been praying, and I've been believing, and I've been trusting, but God has not answered my prayer. Would you join me together as we turn that disappointment into a song of praise and just saying, Lord, you are the cornerstone of my life. I'm putting all my eggs in one basket, Jesus, and that basket is you. And if you don't come through for me, I know that it's, it's only because you love me and you have a better plan. And I just want to give those doubts, those questions, those fears to you right now, Lord. Would you join me as we sing this song together?
My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly trust in Jesus' name. Let's sing that again. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly trust in Jesus' name. Christ alone, cornerstone, Weak made strong in the Savior's love Through the storm He is Lord, Lord of all When darkness seems to hide His face I rest on His unchanging grace In every high and stormy gale My anchor holds within the veil My anchor My anchor holds within the veil Christ alone Cornerstone Weak made strong in the Savior's love Through the storm He is Lord, Lord of all When He shall come with trumpet sound Oh, may I then in Him be found Dressed in His righteousness alone Faultless I stand before the throne Christ alone, cornerstone Weak made strong in the Savior's love through the storm, He is Lord, Lord of all. Christ alone. Christ alone, cornerstone, weak made strong. The Savior's love through the storm, He is Lord, Lord of Father, um, some of us this morning are just doing great. Our prayers are being answered. We're seeing you work in miraculous and wonderful ways. We thank you for that. But Lord, for those of us here this morning who just 
things are not turning out the way that we were hoping and expecting and praying for. Help us, Lord, to trust you with all of our hearts, regardless of the outcome. And if, even if things don't go the way we hoped they would or thought they should, Lord, that we're going to continue to trust you and know that one day in heaven, everything's going to make sense to us. And we're going to see the big picture and we're going to rejoice and we're going to stand before your throne and say, righteous and true were your judgments, Lord. I didn't understand it at the time, but everything you did in my life was right on and spot on and perfectly good. So Lord, give us faith to trust you, to walk by faith and not by sight in our situation. And may those feelings of despair and hopelessness and fear melt away in your presence. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, if you're here this morning, and I never know who's going to show up on any given Sunday, but you might not have a personal relationship with Jesus where he lives in your heart. And Jesus talked to the, the religious leaders about, uh, you know, playing games instead of coming into a personal relationship with him and repenting of their sin. And he kind of rebuked them for saying, hey, don't, don't play your religious games. You need to humble yourselves and repent of your sin and, and come to me. But they weren't willing to do that. But if you're here this morning and you've never repented of your sin, a lot of churches today don't even talk about repentance anymore. But repentance simply means to change the direction of your life. To say, I'm not going to keep doing these things that I know that are dishonoring to God and displeasing to God. Now I'm going to turn and I'm going to go in a different direction. And I'm going to run into his arms of love. And by his grace, I'm going to live a life that's pleasing to him according to the scriptures. That's what repentance means. And if you're here today and you can't, you, you say, you know what? I need to repent. I'm in church. That's good. I got a Bible in my hands. That's good. But I can't honestly say that I'm where I need to be with Christ right now. And, and Jesus isn't here to condemn. He's standing with outstretched arms before you now saying, my child, would you please run into my arms? Receive my grace, my forgiveness. Yeah, I, I know that there's a lot of unanswered questions that you have, but they're, in time they'll be answered. Right now you just need to come back to me and run into my arms of love and receive the offer of forgiveness of your sins and receive the free gift of everlasting life. If you've never done that or you did it at some point in the past, but right now you're where you, not where you need to be with the Lord. And again, this is between you and him personally. If either one of those apply to you, I want to encourage you to pray this prayer that I'm about to pray right now. Um, I'm going to ask everyone to bow your heads and close your eyes and I'm going to pray, pray this prayer very slowly and articulately and methodically so that you can repeat it to God from your heart after me. And you can just pray what I'm praying yourself to God. Dear Jesus, I confess that I have sinned. Thank you for dying on the cross for my sins. Right now, I turn from my sinful way of living and open the door of my heart to you. Thank you for forgiving me 
Thank you for being so patient with me. Thank you for loving me unconditionally. In Jesus' name, amen. If you just prayed that prayer for the first time or you prayed that prayer to rededicate your heart to the Lord, your life to the Lord, please come up and see Malia or Jeff after the service, and they would love to just pray with you again just to kind of seal the deal and help you understand that commitment, that, that decision you made this morning. The rest of us, let's stand. We'll, we'll have one last worship song. One of the things I wanted to address, I was expecting a text question to come in about this, but I'm going to answer it anyway because I, I kind of just skizzed over it in our text. But, you know, Jesus says, uh, and it, if you are willing to receive it, John the Baptist is Elijah who is to come. And, that, and you read that and you're like, what is he talking about? You know, what does that mean? Is John the Baptist is Elijah? Is he Elijah reincarnated or what is Jesus saying here? Well, uh, John's ministry was like that of Elijah and partial fulfillment of the prophecy in Malachi 4, 5. But John wasn't Elijah himself, but he his ministry came in the spirit and the power of Elijah. Now, we know that Elijah will come physically back to the earth during uh, the great tribulation. Revelation chapter 11, you can read about it, verse 3 through 12, where Elijah will come again before the second coming of Jesus. And he'll likely be one of those two prophets mentioned in Revelation chapter 11. And you can read more about that. But he, just so you know what Jesus is talking about is... I, there was a lot of similarities the way John's ministry was carried out to the prophet Elijah. That's what Jesus is talking about. And so he came in the spirit and power of Elijah, not a reincarnated version of him. So, um, well, God bless you guys. Love you guys. And have a great week. Let's, do you have another song? Or you, yeah. Okay. Pull one out.